if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This uh, is the gospel that you heard that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. I pray that God would bless his word to us today. Where do you go when you have big questions? Uh, Google, is that the first place you would go? Wikipedia, maybe? YouTube? Just see if anyone has done any thinking on the questions that you have. Maybe, yeah, Siri, yeah, hey Siri, what's the meaning of life? Um, oh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, do you, maybe go to parents, family members, uh, friends, who do you ask when you have big questions? Many people have gone to the Bible for answers uh, when, you come, when it comes down to deep questions. And Christianity has uh, you know, a unique perspective on lots of aspects of life. We're going to try to understand what Christianity has to say about life, faith, and meaning. And we're ultimately going to look at the answer, uh, or to try to answer the question, what on earth am I here for? Uh, my name is Kurt Buchanan. I'm on staff here at the church and have the pri- privilege of sharing with you today. And again, to anybody who's watching online, we are glad that you're here with us. We're launching into a six-week series where we look at um, answers to questions like this. We want to answer the question, what on earth am I here for? Now, this is a series that's based on Rick Warren's best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life. Uh, Many of you maybe have, have a copy of it on your shelf if you haven't read it. There's been over 35 million copies sold. Uh, And he's actually not the only one to write a book on this subject of meaning and purpose. And many of those are actually also bestsellers. You know, I would say that people are hungry for some clarity on finding and living a life on purpose. I think it's, in fact, a fundamental identity issue for every single person. Who am I? Why am I here? Is there more to life than this? Does my life have any purpose? And if so, what is it? Now, you might be thinking... Those are big questions, and I'm still only half awake. Perhaps you've been thinking about these kind of questions for a while. Perhaps that's why you're here. Maybe you've been asking the question, do I even matter? Do I matter to God? I have good news to share with you this morning. You matter to God. God loves you and wants a relationship with you. And he is calling out to you and inviting you to a life of love, meaning, and purpose. Those are going to be the two points that we kind of settle on here today as we launch into this series. First, God loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. And the second is that he is calling you to something greater with your life. Now, the journey toward understanding yourself, finding meaning, fulfillment, and purpose doesn't start with you. It all starts with God. Again, we we read uh, from the NIV, here's from the message, Colossians 1, verse 16, for everything, absolutely everything above and below, visible and invisible, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. Here's kind of the first point 
It's not about you. This may come as a shock to you. It's a bit unnerving to realize that you're not the center of the universe. The world doesn't revolve around you. You are a supporting character in this story. But that should also come as a relief to us. If you are the center of the universe, if you are your own God, that means that climate change, inflation, every political crisis or scandal, every war, every famine, every disease, the eventual explosion of the sun and the implosion of our galaxy into a black hole, that's on you to deal with. Do you feel like you're kind of equipped, ready to handle that? It's not always obvious to us, but the rest of creation has this figured out already. This is from Job chapter 12, verse 7 to 10. It says this, But ask the animals, and they will teach you. Or the birds in the sky, and they will tell you. Or speak to the earth, and it will teach you. Or let the fish in the sea inform you. Which of all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. It seems we are the last ones to realize that we are not the center of reality, nor are we our own source for meaning and life. All of creation apart from us, they're ready to kind of teach a class, to take us to school, as they say on the fact that God is the starting place, that he is our source. The reality is our lives fall apart when we place ourselves at the center. A life focused on the self is a dead end. Romans chapter 8, verse 6, again in the message says this, those who trust in God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious and free life. See, the purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family or your career or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God, because you were born by his purpose and for his purpose. Human beings, I believe at their core of what a human being is, is that a human being is a worshiper. That is what we are. We are made in God's image, and we are made to worship and glorify God. We were made to worship. Sometimes in thinking about this, I think of Niagara Falls, something not too far from where we are here in Canada, a majestic sight. Imagine if you were one of the first people to lay your eyes on Niagara Falls. Would you be able to keep that to yourself? Imagine you were traveling with a small group of people along a trail and heard in the distance this faint sound of rushing water. You kind of leave your group for a few minutes and step out of the trees and behold the sight of all that rushing water. 
and then return to your group and say nothing about it. Could any of you keep that in? Not say a word. Even on your deathbed, thinking back to those rushing waters and not say anything. (laughs) More than likely, you would say, wait, stop. You have to come and see this. You don't want to miss it. You'd have to share it with others. In fact, I think sharing it with others completes the experience of beholding. You are a worshiper. What is a singer who doesn't sing, a dancer who doesn't dance, a painter who doesn't paint? Being a worshiper is fundamental to being human. But what if we have nothing or no one to worship? What if we set our worship on something or someone that isn't really worthy of our worship? See, I think the greatest fulfillment of a worshiper is to worship what or who is worthy of worship. It makes perfect sense that it's not about you. If you're a worshiper, it's all about God. We simply behold Him. We see God for who He is and what He has done, what He will do, and we worship. And if we embrace our fundamental identity, that we were created by Him for His pleasure, and we worship Him, we are never more ourselves and never more fully satisfied. When we worship We are a singer who sings, a dancer who dances, or a painter who paints. However, if you deny who he is, or you deny how he has designed you, you will experience alienation. What what do I mean by that? A fish isn't free on the beach. A fish is free in water. And if a fish is on the sand, it experiences alienation. It is separated from the environment for which it was meant to be in. See, we are meant to live our lives as worshipers in His presence. Now, the way we worship is multifaceted and multidynamic. You know, music is not just the only way that we would worship, but it is to behold Him and to respond in spirit and in truth. Then we are, for the first time, a human being. We be to the glory of God. So, why is it that many of us don't like the idea that it's not about us? A short, but a very co- a short word, but a very complex idea, sin. Sin separates us from God. In sin, we reject God as God. We put ourselves or something else in His place. And we find ourselves experiencing alienation. We are like a fish rejecting the water and trying to live a life of meaning and purpose on the beach. Again, from our text in Colossians, verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. See, in the beginning of Genesis, we see that God creates the heavens and the earth We also see that Adam and Eve sinned against God and they brought in a world of trouble. Through sin, I believe we've lost sight of our fundamental identity as God's image bearers. We try to define ourselves apart from Him, but we end up losing ourselves. We look to many sources, but none of them truly satisfy. We make it all about us, but instead we fall into destruction and chaos, pain and suffering, 
lostness, loneliness. We are fragmented and broken, a fish flopping on the beach. But it says in Colossians again in verse 19, chapter 1, but the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ Jesus on the cross. Again, here's verse 19. Uh, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, God has come to us in Jesus to deal once and for all with sin and death and to invite us to eternal, abundant life, free from the power, the penalty, the presence of sin, and to conquer death. He invites us to life in all its fullness. Verse 22 says this, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And he has done everything necessary for you to experience his grace. You just have to receive the invitation. It's as simple as that. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. All you have to do is open the door of your life to him. And then he will come into your life. The Spirit of Christ will lead you out into the open, into a spacious, free life. By His Spirit, your life can be transformed, and there's nothing more fulfilling or satisfying. However, uh, it is not without a cost. Jesus was constantly reminding people who were hearing Him speaking about the cost of being one of His disciples. See, Jesus comes to us as both Savior and Lord, If you receive him as Savior, you must must also receive him as Lord. See, he laid down his life for us because of his love for us, and we must lay down our lives for him. We must let go of all other sources or idols that we've been clinging to. The God of the universe has set his love on you and wants a relationship with you. We must let go of anything that would hold us back from embracing him. We must continue in faith, be established and firm and not move from the gospel. Verse 23 says this, if you continue in your faith, established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. So imagine with me for a moment that you are a fish on the sand. And Jesus comes to you and says, I can rescue you. I can put you in the environment that you were made for. All you have to do is give up the sand. And I think the sand can be anything that we love more than God. It can be trusting your own word instead of taking him at his word. It can be defining your own identity in whatever way you want rather than embracing who he says you are. It can be the love of money or power or pleasure It can be placing other people, your children, your boss, your spouse, uh, in God's place. Uh, Hippocrates was a Greek physician. You know, the Hippocratic Oath, some of you would recognize that. He was a Greek physician who he's considered kind of one of the most outstanding figures in the history of medicine. Here's a quote from him. He said this, Before you heal someone, 
Ask them if they are willing to give up the things that make them sick. Are you ready to be healed? Are you ready to be rescued? To come to him as Lord and Savior, you must also be willing to give up the things that make you sick. If you'd like to receive his grace and invite him into your life as Lord and Savior, you can pray a simple prayer with me. Now, this is a prayer of commitment that any Christian can regularly pray. But if you've never given your life to Jesus, this is a great way to start your relationship with him. I'll pray these words out loud. And if you believe them, if you're a Christian who believes these words, you can pray them out loud with me. Uh, If you're saying this for the first time, you can join us. If you're too shy, you can echo these words in your heart. You can repeat after me. Dear Father, thank you that you love me and sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me to live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to talk with you about baptism. Baptism is the sign of your choice to follow Christ. If you are a Christian, we believe that you should be baptized publicly to demonstrate that you understand the cost of being a disciple of Jesus and also the reward of having a relationship with God. And if you pray a prayer like that, you, I believe, are having a burning bush experience. Some of you might know the character from the Bible, Moses. He had a radical encounter with God when he saw a burning bush. And though it was burning, the bush was not consumed. See, God loves you and wants a relationship with you, but he's also calling you to something. See, the Bible sometimes uses a different word when talking about a person's identity or their destiny. It is sometimes referred to as a call, the call of Moses. That happened at the burning bush. Abraham was called to go out in faith. Jonah was called to go to Nineveh. That's where we get the term vocation, to vocalize, to call. But a calling isn't just for Moses or Abraham or Paul. It is also for you. You have been called according to his purpose. See, God loves, and loves you and wants a relationship with you, but he also wants you to join him in his mission in the world, to be a part of his kingdom's work, the expansion of the rule and reign of Jesus throughout the whole world. So here's a few things you need to know about the call. First, the call is for you. Uh, Romans 8, 28 says this, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Finding purpose in life, again, doesn't begin with us. It begins with God. You have been called according to his purpose. And his purposes are good. Uh, If you get a call in the middle of the night, It's often bad news, isn't it? 
Uh, Naomi and I were on a date last week, and in the middle of dinner, we got a call from the babysitter. Everyone at the table was immediately concerned. We looked at Naomi's face, who received the call, wondering if something terrible had happened to our children. But rather, it was good news that just couldn't wait. If someone called you to offer you $50 million, you wouldn't want to miss that call, would you? That's a good call to receive. God isn't calling you with $50 million. He's calling you with something far more valuable. He's calling to give you hope and a future, welcoming you into a family, providing you with power to live a victorious life. This is Ephesians uh, chapter 1, 18 and 19. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Uh, In another translation, it says this, my prayer is that light will flood your hearts and that you will understand the hope that was given to you when God called you then you will discover the glorious blessings that will be yours together with all of God's people. Okay, here are eight things that you need to know about your calling. First of all, the calling is for you. And here's eight things I'd like you to know about your calling. My calling is a gift from God. And I'm called for God's purpose. God chose my calling even before I was born. My sins and mistakes don't change my call. My call is permanent. My calling is connected to others. God empowers what he calls me to do. And there's a prize for living out my calling. We're going to look at several Bible verses that uh, highlight these uh, eight statements. So first of all, again, my calling is a gift from God. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Again, Paul is scolding some people here, and he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Uh, in the message, it says it this way, I am shocked that you have so quickly turned from God who chose you with his gift of undeserved grace. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 says this, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Again, there's that word grace. That's the gift. Uh, I'm called for God's purpose. Here's Romans uh, 9. This is 10 to 11 in the message translation. Do not forget what happened to the twin sons of uh, Isaac and Rebekah. Even before they were born or had done anything good or bad, the Lord told Rebekah that her older son would serve the younger one. The Lord said this to show he makes his own choices, and it wasn't because of anything that either of them had done. It's God's purposes for our lives. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says this, For we are God's workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
Uh, this is number three. God chose my calling before I was born. Galatians chapter 1, verse 15 in the NLT. It pleased God in his kindness to choose me and call me even before I was born. What undeserved mercy. This is Jeremiah 1, verse 5 in the message. Before I shaped you in the womb, I knew all about you. Before you saw the light of day, I had holy plans for you. Isaiah 44, verse 2, I am your creator. You were in my care even before you were born. My sins and mistakes don't change my call. 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 14 says this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me or calling me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. A calling is permanent. Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says this, God's gifts and his calling are irrevocable. Romans, uh, or again, it, it says this in the NL, NLT, God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. I, I was thinking about this aspect of God's call. He speaks to us. Uh, and I was thinking about creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, he spoke and he said, let there be light. And there was light. There was no delay. The light didn't argue. <laughs> and since he spoke those words, light has been zipping around our whole universe. If God calls you, remember that his word can call light into existence. And it exists. I believe that your calling can be like that. Um, your calling, though, is not independent just for you. You are connected to others. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 says this, We are all one body. We have the same spirit, and we have all been called to the same glorious future hope. Hebrews 3, uh, chapter 1 says this, Therefore, Holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. God also empowers us to do uh, or fulfill our calling. Ephesians 4.1 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Or 2 Thess Thessalonians 1.11 with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says this, The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. There is also a prize for living out your calling. Seems funny thinking about light being light because God said it so. If he calls us, why on earth should we receive <laughs> a praise or prize for our calling, for living out our calling? But Philippians 3.14 says this, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 2.11-12 says this, 
For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. I'll invite the worship team to come back and we're gonna wrap up here this morning. See, you matter to God. God loves you and wants a relationship with you. But you are not the starting place or the source of your life. God is. So it's not about you. It's all about God. This is great news because you are a worshiper. You are made to worship our holy God, the only one who is worthy of worship. You will never be more yourself and never more satisfied than if you do. And more than wanting a relationship with you, he is calling you to a life of love, meaning, and purpose. Again, when God said, let there be light, there was light. There it was, bursting forth. No one could stop it. I believe that God is calling us each by name saying to each one of us, let there be Kurt, or let there be Karen, let there be Steve, let there be Greg, let there be Louise. He's saying, let there be light. Will you try to hide that light, or will you let it come bursting forth? Will you stand with me as we pray? Lord Jesus, as we launch into this series, we pray that your presence and power would be here and with us. Uh, Father, I pray that we would have a deeper and deeper understanding of your great love for us, of your care for us, that you were mindful of us even before we were born, that we came into um, existence because of your will, um, not because of the decisions of other people. Um, but we landed exactly where we should be in life, and you have a plan, a good plan for each one of us. Help us to know deeply how much uh, we matter to you, and that you've poured your love out on the cross for us. Help us to have a deeper and deeper understanding of that. Father, also help us to know the great promises that we can have in answering your call, in hearing your call to us of what you want in our lives what you want for us, what you want to do in and through us to be a blessing to those who are around us, our brothers and sisters in Christ, but also um, to this world. Help us to join you, to answer the call, to, to go into all of the world, to make other disciples. Father, would you help us to understand our call, our call together as a people, our unique call even uh, as Hillcrest, as the people of Hillcrest who worship here, would you help us to understand our unique individual calls as uh, families, as husband and wives, uh, also whole families? We believe that you have unique and special purpose, purposes, even prepared in advance for us to do. Would you help us to be able to live in light of those things? Uh, would you help us to experience what it is to live in freedom in living out our calling? Uh, that we would be, again, a fish free in water rather than stuck on the sand. 
Would you help us to set aside those things that hold us back from embracing your call for us? Thank you, Jesus, for your presence here with us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to worship some more, and then uh, I hope you have a wonderful week.